I'm Marco Werman. This is The World. Sex in the Arab world sounds like a provocative topic, right? It's also, of course, a matter of fact. After all, the population of Arab countries is growing like almost everywhere else. But discussing sex in the Arab world is different. It remains a tricky subject, even in the wake of the Arab Spring revolutions. Shireen El-Feki is the author of Sex and the Citadel, Intimate Life in a Changing Arab World. The book is the product of five years of research. During that time, El-Feki traveled to several countries with a special emphasis on Egypt and essentially asked people to open up about sex. What they do, what they don't, what they think, and why. Now, I realize, depending on your perspective, this could be considered a dream job or a slightly dubious occupation, Mm -hmm. but uh, it had a very serious uh, professional and personal intent. You write that this book isn't supposed to be an encyclopedia or a peep show, but your chapter titled Desperate Housewives does get surprisingly explicit in the conversations you have with your subjects, which range from sex toys and impotence and sexual positions. Were you surprised how ready the people were to open up and talk about this? I was. When I began this project, I was concerned. How easy would it be for me to interact with people? But it turned out to be surprisingly easy, and I think there are really two reasons for that. It's my insider-outsider status. So I am half Egyptian, I am Muslim, and so people felt that I had a connection. Mm. And I grew up in Canada. You look at me right now, and I have all the fair features of my of You my look wel- like you come from the West. Of, yeah, of my <laughs> Welsh mother. And that was actually an advantage because there is a perception among many people in the Arab world that the West is easier when it comes to sexual matters and less judgmental. And so people were willing to open up to me in ways that they probably wouldn't have done if it hadn't been for my sort of outward appearance. And at the end of the day, I didn't have problems getting people to talk about sex. I had difficulty getting them to stop talking about sex. Did that surprise you? Yes and no. There is the taboo around sex and the silence, but that's largely in public discourse. In private, women talk about sex all the time. Men talk about sex all the time. It's no different than anywhere in the world. The problem is that there isn't a lot of information for many people. So sexuality education is a huge problem in the Arab world. So they're eager to learn. Absolutely. And many young people are turning to the Internet for information. As in anywhere in the world, there is some good information and there is some very unhelpful information. Well, let's talk about a couple of people whom you've spent time with. One woman, Marwa Raha of Egypt. You describe her as the agony aunt of the online generation. She publicly states that she's not a therapist or a doctor. What is she providing Arab youth that makes her so popular? She's providing openness and a willingness to talk about issues ranging from uh, masturbation to premarital sex to girls who want to move out. And her advice is culturally relevant. She's not suggesting that people throw Islam aside and try to lead a liberated Western sexual life. What Marwa argues and and what I argue in my book is that within these borders, there is considerable flexibility on a large range of sexual issues. I guess she's kind of the Dr. Ruth of Egypt. Is that right? We we have people who are exactly like Dr. Ruth. The uh, pioneer in this is a woman called Heba Atp, who uh, broke into Egyptian homes or Arab homes in 2006 with her uh, series called Kalam Kabir, uh, Big Talk. I have been out with her in Cairo and people come up to her and thank her for her series and the advice that she's offering. But as one young woman uh, told me, 
I really like Heba Ott. My mother, she doesn't like her so much, but I like her. But you know what? Heba Ott says I should ask for my sexual rights, but I cannot do that. My husband would think I was not a good woman. Wow, they're really battling this in the open air. Absolutely. You only need to go on the Internet, as Marwa's site has done and many, many others, to see that young people are starting to ask questions. Why are things this way? And that is part of, I think, a very positive development after the uprisings of 2011 and beyond. The really revolutionary aspect of these uprisings has been that people feel free to speak out now. And they are speaking out about politics. And increasingly, they are starting to ask questions about religion because politics and religion are now entwined in political Islam. Politics and religion are two of what we call the three red lines in the Arab world. These are things that you're not supposed to challenge in word or deed. Politics, religion, and what's the third? Ah, what do you think it is? Sexuality. Absolutely. (laughs) So one of the arguments I make in the book is that we need to be asking these hard questions in our sexual lives that we are starting to ask in politics. It sounds like sexuality in the Arab world could lead to some fairly unpredictable places. And I would guess that not everyone in the Arab world is happy with what potential lies there. Are there forces opposing that reevaluation? Absolutely. The most obvious ones are uh, Islamic conservatives who have a very uh, austere, um, strict interpretations of Islam, which offer very little flexibility. There are also liberals who oppose this. And if I can give you one example. So I was down in Tahrir Square uh, in 2011 talking to young people about the connection between political freedom and personal freedom. And could they imagine that the revolution they were fighting for could actually lead to greater sexual freedom? And one young man I met who was fighting in the side streets against the security forces for his vision of a democratic Egypt was absolutely horrified. He said, no, 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 no. This is not the freedom we are fighting for. We are Muslim. We are Arab. We believe in the marriage institution. We want social freedom. We do not want sexual freedom. So were you optimistic after doing the survey of all these people in the Arab world that even after the Arab awakening, where everybody's concerned about democracy and and that future, will that kind of end up by hijacking this sexual awakening? And could one get subsumed by the other? I think they're complementary. If I can just give you one example of how this is playing out on the ground. If we look at the highly controversial subject of homosexuality in the Arab world, there are very smart young people who are trying to figure out a way to find a place in the emerging order. And what's very interesting is that they know the history of the gay rights movement in the West, chapter and verse. And they can tell you with devastating precision why they think it is not going to work in the Arab region. And as one of them cogently pointed out to me, there's no point in us trying to fight for sexual identity politics. I don't even have an individual identity, this woman told me. Hmm. She's Lebanese. And she said that, for example, in the eyes of the state, I am registered as the daughter of my father. And if I were to marry... I would then go on the state records as the wife of my husband. Shireen, how can we talk about a sexual identity if we don't even have a personal identity? First things first, basically. And what these young activists are fighting for and struggling for is let us try to achieve 
justice and dignity and freedom and equality for everyone. Let us not just try to carve this out for a special group because it doesn't make sense if one group has this and the majority do not. Shireen El-Feki, author of Sex and the Citadel, Intimate Life in a Changing Arab World. Thank you for coming in. My pleasure.